Okay, and take two. All right, welcome back to Make Mine Multiversity of Marvel podcast. I'm Kevin. With me, as usual, are Nick and Jess. And we have the entire gang back together for one last go around. Womp, womp, womp. Mm. Uh, mm. Yes, uh, the, the podcast is not ending, but friends, Nick Palmieri will be uh, leaving us to go on to other ventures. We are writing his character out of the show um, so that he can go on and star in the live action Avatar The Last Airbender uh, reboot show thing. Whatever. Congrats. Um, congrats, Nick, about Thank your casting. You. Um, yeah, I'm very happy to be able to announce this role on this show. Yes, it's exclusive right now. When you see the Variety article or the Hollywood Reporter thing later, You'll know that we're not lying. You heard it here first. Yes, all all three of you. Um, now, Nick Nick Isley, we're we're excited for him to go off and do other things. We'll miss him on the show, but we're happy that we get one last go round. Um, but folks uh, here at Make Mind Multiversity, if you're coming to us from Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, SoundCloud, other places, uh, please subscribe, rate, review us, let us know. How we're doing, what you like, what you don't like, this, that, and the other. Tell your friends, tell your grandma, tell your postman, woman, person, UPS driver, I don't know, whatever. Um, We're hosted by multiversitycomics.com. If you haven't checked them out already, what are you waiting for? Multiversity Comics is your home for all things comics, manga, uh, comic show to TV, movies, uh, this, that, and the other, think pieces, reviews, all those fun things that people get on the internet for it's a wonderful wonderful website um this summer there we're in the midst of doing our now annual multiversity summer television binge where people are taking looks at shows that they like and going through episodes and turning out things once a week nick is on the last season of avatar the last airbender it's probably what got him this you know this role in this new show this is great writing that he's doing um we've also started uh this summer our multiversity summer uh, comics binge uh, where people are reading through and writing uh, pieces up about series that they either love or have wanted to get through for a long time or have wanted to hate read. Uh, Walt Richardson, multiversity comics editor in exile is about to get started on his uh, countdown to final crisis uh, uh, piece, which if you don't follow him on Twitter, um, you should because he's been tweeting about it a little bit and that comic is just a dumpster fire and it's going to be hilarious. Um, so check all that fun stuff out on Multiversity. Um, but this is our July 2019 episode. We're coming to you ahead of San Diego Comic-Con, which will take place at the end of this week. And so, and we'll probably get a ton of news about the future of the Marvel Cinematic Universe as well as Jonathan Hickman uh, X-Men relaunch thing following House of X and Powers of Ten. We'll be back in a couple of weeks to cover all things San Diego related and to uh, review the first two issues or the first issues of House of X and Powers of Ten. So be looking forward to that in the future. Um, but friends, now we're here to talk about about the news. All that news that we yes. like half pay attention to and all that. So Nick, Jess, <laughs> y'all ready for, for one last go around? Almost. God, let me uh, let me pull my catchphrases up. Oh, good, good, good. We're ready if, if Jess's power doesn't go out again. Um, that's where. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, that great, intro is well, interesting because I think we were both trying to say different things than the first time. <laughs> yeah. 
I mean, if my power uh, goes out, my phone's only at 50%. How will I tweet the best tweets? That's true. That's true. How will you tweet about wrestling while we're recording a podcast? How, if how your power could goes I? Out? Exactly. See, this is my brand. Yeah. People expect this from me. I expect this of you. Yeah. Ah. <laughs> uh, all right, on to the news. So first things first, probably the thing that will get the most rise out of uh, our folks here. Uh, it was announced this last week that Tom Scioli will be doing a two-issue Fantastic Four grand design book in sort of the vein of what Ed Pisker has been doing with the X-Men grand design thing. So it'll be taking a look at the, the sort of history of the Fantastic Four and distilling it into two issues. It will start in October. Nick, we will start with you. Uh, what are your sort of uh, overall thoughts about CLE doing some Fantastic Four fun bits? So I read the first uh, two issues of Grand Design, and I loved them. Um, and I really like Tom Cioli's work on the backups that he used to do in Young Animal. I think specifically he did the ones in Cave Carson. But um, yeah, his his work is... Yeah, he did those Bane, those Bane ones, right? Uh, yeah. maybe I, he did like the super friends ones. It, yeah. Those ones. I oh, okay. Of. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But I think they're both cartoonists of the same school in that they work in this like sort of eighties old school type, uh, field, but it's also a, uh, very modern self-aware take on it. And it looks almost like the type of stuff that, you know, high school kids would draw on the margins of their notebooks, but it's like just very good uh, storytelling. And yeah, his his stuff is great. And X-Men Grand Design was great. So I think this is going to be very good too. Sure. Sure. Jess, what are you, what are you thinking? Um, I agree. I, I think X-Men Grand Design was really cool. It It's, it, doing something like this all depends on who you give it to, and Scioli is like perfect for this. So, um, and two issues for the Fantastic Four seems seems about right because um, it wasn't until like much later that they became a part of like all the big crossovers and whatnot. So, two two issues sounds about right to do the same thing that that uh, Piscor did with Grand Design. Um, did is there a page count on those two issues or? I think they're forty eight pages each, but I was. I was really interested because I was, because like Pisker's had like Grand Design and then he's had like two other like spinoffs after that. So I was curious if like this was going to be like the first of like a couple of series that Mm -hmm. Cioli was going to end up doing. Yeah, Pisker did um, X-Men from the beginning up through uh, like 92. Um, And especially toward the end, Uh there were a lot of miniseries and like just multiple different books that he was tying in. And yeah, it's like he was trying to represent all of that. Whereas Fantastic Four, it's only yeah. going to be Fantastic Four. So I'd imagine there just isn't as much to do. Um, but I, I also wonder what period exactly Tom Scioli will want to cover. Yeah, because yeah. Grand Design 2 was like uh, like a way of, of streamlining all of it. So like if you were like, what is the history of the X-Men? If you just picked up the Grand Design trade or trades that that's it like mm-hmm. that's what they can i guess that's what the Mar- marvel itself is considering like this is all canon and this is how it unfolded to kind of streamline everything which is fine but i i just really like the the idea of doing it like 
with yeah. certain cartoonists it's just like like Piscor doing that was fantastic like that was a really really beautiful series that he did so yeah i think this is gonna be just as good like i'm interested i'm gonna i'm gonna read this this is interesting to me yeah yeah no i think that this is like definitely um like a like a really like great like great idea and i think Cioli's sort of like the perfect person to like take on the fantastic four i am like i am kind of curious just because like there have been there's so many characters that are um sort of like pivotal to like the marvel universe and, and current times that debuted in, in the Fantastic Four, like Black Panther and Namor and Galactus and Silver Surfer and the Watcher and the Inhumans and all this stuff. And so, like, if they take a lot of time sort of detailing a lot of those introductions, that I could see this spawning a couple of different miniseries. But if it is just... Because um, you're right, like, because the like, X-Men had, like, have had have had like a a, a, a ton of, of different books sort of on the side the fantastic four really just had their book and like an ff and future foundation i guess are really sort of the only um spinoffs well i guess like the thing and the human torch have had solo series at various points but if 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 Ciola gets all the all the way to the modern period maybe i don't know it is like it is going to be. It is curious to me, like if this will just be two issues or if this will spot another series, which I could see it doing, which would be a ton of fun. It's also got like a lot of people talking about what it looks like for Marvel to do a whole sort of line of grand design books, and I saw a lot of people tweeting and being very excited about the idea of of, of Michelle Fife doing a Spider Man grand design book. Oh, yeah. well, that would be cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, now that I'm thinking about it. Like Ed Pisker, he had done Hip Hop Family Tree, and that was a whole like him doing the history of hip hop in the way that like he would end up doing for X Men. So Tom Cioli doesn't really have that sort of experience. Like he's done things like Transformers versus GI Joe and uh, GoBots, where he takes an old property and he does like a modern day old school reimagining like self-aware comedic thing. And it's just a very different way of doing it. And he doesn't really have that. I know of experience streamlining a large history in the way that Piscor does. So I'm curious about the series in that way. Well, he did those, he did those cause those super friends. I think the super friends stuff was not the young animal things. It was something separate that him, that Tom Scioli and, and art, What's that? Art Blanc? Art, Art, Art Balthazar and Franco? Right? No, 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 no. You're thinking of a, a different Super Friends. Um, yeah, oh, okay. it was like two page backups in, I'm pretty sure it was Cave Carson. Um, and he did like, he just took the Super Friends characters from the cartoon and he like remixed them into just his completely own story. Oh, you're right. You're right. You're right. You're right. I was thinking of something different. Because um, that other thing that he did with Art Balthazar was called. Yeah, I don't think that Tom Cioli was involved in that one. I think that was just Art Balthazar and Franco. But yeah. Anyway. Oh, <laughs> never mind. I don't know. Because I thought that. I Why do I have Tom Cioli and, and Art Balthazar and Franco? I have no together? idea. Because I thought that they did things together. I don't know. I thought they did things together. I thought they were doing like a. <laughs> okay, well then I'm dumb. Whatever. Uh, yeah, I, 
Or like I thought they were doing some of the like the the DC like one of the like DC Zoom or Ink titles together or something. Or maybe that's just like Arbotsar and Franco yeah. are doing some of yeah, like they, one of Yeah, they they usually work together and they do like a kind of the stuff they do is usually aimed at like a younger mm-hmm. audience. Okay. All right. Forget everything <laughs> that I just said because I'm wrong. Uh um yeah, this is going to be cool. Uh, uh Oh. One of Tom Scioli's first uh, comics works was the Fantastic Four World's Greatest Comic Magazine miniseries. I had no idea. There you go. There you go. This is going to be good. That's, that's, I, I, I clearly had my art, art, artist mixed up, but I, I have the utmost, (laughs) the utmost faith that this is going to be good and something that I'm excited about. And like having read like the grand design stuff, like that was a really fun way to sort of like digest a lot of, excellent material and like a really great format from like a really great artist. And I, I just think, I think like, like histories like this are really exciting. It's like reading um, sort of like the Wikipedia articles of things, but like with pictures, which is like how I like what I did a lot before I started reading comics, which I think is a lot of people's experiences. Like, I don't know who this character is. Let me like, you know, go to their Wikipedia page and then, that takes them to like 40 other Wikipedia pages of like different stories and different characters that they're connected to and this, that, and the other. And this is like a fun way to have that sort of experience, but like in like a purposeful sort of like streamlined artistic way. And it's, it's um, a, it seems like a really interesting project for like a, for, an, for a cartoonist to take on too. Cause it's like, yeah. can you imagine if your job is you're going to sit down and you're going to streamline the entire X-Men history from like the 60s to like the early nineties and be like, yeah, this is, in this amount of issues, I'm going to tell you everything that happened in this order. That's insane. Like that yeah, is such yeah. dedication to doing something. And the fact that he did that and like, it was really good is amazing. And I know fantastic four is a little bit smaller, but when there's so many years of comics to get through, it's like, you can't skip so much when you do a project like that. You have to know like every little thing, the ins and outs to do something like that. So if like this became like a thing and it was more like it was creators like this who who do everything on their own and it was like a solo type thing, I think that would be really cool. I'd be really into that if they did that with more characters. They did that with Spider-Man and, and the Avengers and Thor. Like if they just kept doing it, depending on who they bring in, I think it would be really interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They just did, um, like, at Multiversity, we had our reader poll um, for this last week was, like, what uh, what Marvel property would you want to get the grand design treatment next? Um, and I think it would be really interesting to get, like, to, for them to, like, keep doing, like, teams like this. Like, I think, like, like, Spider-Man deserves one, but, like, have, like, an Avengers one. And then, like, if that spawns more sort of, like, subcategories of grand design stuff and like that could be really cool um but yeah like i think that this is this is like a great a great thing and like a great thing that like will continue to sort of um like sell books like for forever and ever and ever because it's just like such a like a fun a fun um like a fun project uh and it's like like having seen like the grand design books that like are the like the marvel treasury edition um like trades or, or hardcovers where they're like just like huge like that like this like like if if i had like a lot of like disposable income i would like i would be buying all of those regularly you can buy hip-hop family tree like that that's yeah, true if, i if, should like, do that if anyone like read that it is like 
the three people that listen to us, like you can buy hip hop family tree in that format. Um, and it's really cool. I don't have them, but I've like seen them at the store and scrolled through them. It, they're, they're cool. Yeah. Yeah. Nick, do you have the hip hop family tree? The, like the. Yeah, I, I got the first one. It's one of those that I bought. Haven't read, ah. <laughs> but yeah, I know that. Do you want to read it eventually? <laughs> Very cool. Well, do y'all have any other any other grand design thoughts? Any other grand grand thoughts? I don't have a lot of grand thoughts ever. I just am curious if y'all do. No. Okay. Not no. today. <laughs> Not right now. Okay. Great. All right. Well, moving on. Then we're going to talk a little bit about nepotism. Um, so, uh, Marvel announced a couple weeks ago that we're getting a five issue. Uh, Spider-Man miniseries written by J.J. Abrams, uh, movie maker, director, producer, writer, all this, that, and the other, and his son, uh, Henry Abrams, and it's going to be illustrated by Sarah Pichelli, uh and colored by Dave Stewart. And it's going to debut a new villain named Cadaverous. Um, and from all the like stuff that we got, it's mostly kind of seems like uh, it's Henry doing the writing and J and JJ Abrams is sort of like the like story by both of them and then script by Henry Abrams. And it spawned a lot of conversation and, and anger <laughs> to be frank on, on Twitter from people that were accusing Marvel of, of sort of like nepotism of them saying they wanted JJ Abrams and JJ's like, well, let me get my son roped in. And now there's this 22 year old who's writing a comic and, and there, you know, people like why asking why. So I'm curious what what y'all think about about this miniseries um, and your thoughts, sort of about some of the reactions that were had. So Jess, we'll we'll start with you first, and then we'll we'll work our way out from there. So, um, I hate it, but in general, I think <laughs> like in general though, I think that comics has a really weird way. Like at least Marvel and DC, I'll say, have a very strange way of how they bring talent in anyway um because there are a lot of people that you'd be like yeah well maybe somebody should give them a big title or something because they've clearly got really cool ideas and people are fans are into it but of course they'll never get a a day in the in the marvel office to begin with you know so it's kind of like comics in general at least at the corporate level have like a really stupid way of bringing in talent anyway so i'm not shocked but i don't like it um and it's it's not just jj abrams kid it's just like i don't i don't think it's it's like yeah no you don't have to read this and no he's not taking someone else's spot but it's like marvel has so many problems already including their idiot in chief and the things he says on twitter about his own talent um like his recent comments about oh uh, a lot of writers don't know how to uh create like one and done stories um or whatever because of all the events and stuff and it's like well buddy you're the one that's making these events so what are you talking about but then he like threw uh his own artist and colorist under the bus saying that there's not enough good inkers out there and it's like what are you trying to say about your own talent but I just feel like Marvel has so many issues and it's like kind of shitty to then toss a book at some famous guy's kid just because he's a famous guy's kid. Um, I really don't like nepotism. I have major problems with it in general. Um, 
Because like I said, I do think there are a lot of people working in comics who are doing a lot of great work and they can't even get attention from some of these big publishers. And it's like, well, what do you have to do at this point to get any attention, especially if you're a person of color or you fall under the LGBT umbrella and you're basically going broke every single book because your publisher either isn't publicizing your book or you're not able to get the opportunities that like a rich guy's son is going to get. So it's just, it's a problem in comics in general. So it's not like me just getting mad at J.J. Abrams' son to get mad at his son. It's it's comics in general. And so I just think the whole situation is really shitty. And I kind of wish we weren't in it. Um, but he's, it, it's not taking up another title. It's its own thing. It is what it is, I guess. It's just comics. Yeah. Yeah, I think. Why it is it you know it's like not it's not taking up another another space like this is like a dedicated miniseries that these people um, are doing so they're not like it's not like this is a regular a regularly published title they're doing but it is like Sarah Bakelli who is like a great artist and Dave Stewart who's like like the best colorist in the industry like doing something um, on the side that's detracting from them doing something in like the main Marvel universe I do think that like this particular instance is emblematic of a lot of things that are like questionable about Marvel, especially like, as you were saying, just like the way that they pull talent in and the way that they um, get people of color and queer people into like do stories, which is frankly, like they, they don't and are they done at the, at sort of the rate that those people have proved that they are capable of writing and, and drawing and creating things that are, um, a value and of importance. I do think though, um, like JJ Abrams is doing a lot of things over at Lucasfilm and Marvel's publishing a lot of comics that like are publishing a lot of star Wars comics and this, that, and the other, it kind of behooves them to like say, Hey, JJ Abrams is now direct now directed two of like the star Wars, uh, relaunch films. He's, you know, seven and, and episode seven and episode nine. It would be fun to get him in to write something, Star Wars related, but then also like maybe Marvel related because it sounded like from the articles that they'd been courting him to do something for a long time. Um, like, I don't think that I'm like particularly mad at like at, at them. And I think it makes sense like business wise for them to like coax JJ Abrams into doing things. I think like him kind of having his son write the thing is like odd, but I guess, you know, whatever. Um, and maybe that says more about like, I wish that I could be writing for Marvel, but I haven't like published anything ever of value at all. Um, but also, I think it's I think it says more about Marvel than it does particularly about like the Abramses in general. Um, but that might be me, Nick. What are you? What are your thoughts? What are you thinking? Um, so I had some hot takes before. I don't want to go like too in detail, but <clears throat> like basically, I think J.J. Abrams has earned kind of the right to do whatever he wants at this corporation, like as a creative person, just because of the work that he has done and like the high profile projects that he's been on. So in terms of like just giving him a book and saying, Hey, you can do whatever you want with it. And I think that's fine. And if his choice to like what to, with what to do with that is to have his son script it. I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing. Um, the idea of like, yeah, people work for years, myself included to try and get any sort of writing job. And 
like a kid can just step up and do it. But at the same time, your connections in the entertainment industry as it is, are pretty much how you get jobs no matter what. I think if the kid is bad, he's going to be bad. <laughs> I say kid, he's only like four years yeah, old. Yeah, he's 22. But, and um, I will I will say like, and, and as reported by, by us and other places, like he was a production assistant on, on The Force Awakens and on Cloverfield. And he was um, in the art department for Ready Player One. So like he has some sort of like creative uh, credits or whatever in some places, but not that he's ever written a comic. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I think if it turns out bad, it'll like, he'll never get a comics writing job again. And if it turns out that, good, then we have uh, Okay. I, I don't think he would get like a high profile comics writing job. Like, I think if it turns out bad, I, I, I don't know. I just, I don't see them giving him any special treatment going forward if people genuinely don't like his work there are but, um, there are like a ton like there are a ton of creators in comics who constantly put out mediocre work who constantly get on social media and say the shittiest things they can possibly say who will constantly get work so i just don't buy for a second like honestly i get where you're coming from but like the fact like to say that he's gonna get he's not gonna get work at marvel again like I, I just, I, I can't, like, I, I guess, I don't know, it's just, you have, like, people like Cine Grace who were writing a comic that was getting, uh, that was prolific, that was getting award nominations, that was getting put in the New York Times, and, like, they threw that book under the bus, and, like, the fact that he's doing this, and, like, it's getting fanfare and everything, like, you're right, J.J. Abrams does get to do whatever he wants to a certain degree, but, like, there's so much mediocre and subpar art out there by people who genuinely suck and they keep getting opportunities just because of who their parents are. That sucks. That's just not like, I, I just, I can't, like, it just seems it's, it just, it ruins a lot. of. It's just, it sucks. Like it, it's not a fun thing to do. And it's like, I wouldn't want to get into comics if that's just kind of how it is. If like my goal is to kind of, get in the door at like Marvel DC and it's like, Oh, well it's pretty much your connections that matter. That sucks. And that to me is something that the corporate comics have to kind of do away with and, and at least to a degree and at least make the effort to bring in new talent and hype them up, especially uh, people of color and, and LGBT people, because it's like, this is where art and the industry and just, pop culture in general is moving towards more acceptance and stuff and like for that story to come out and then Cine Grace to put out what he put out like right after that it's just like what the hell is Marvel doing it just it all just looks really bad to me and I just don't buy for a second that if it's not good he won't get work again he's J.J. Abrams kid he'll get work somewhere somebody will hire him for something big I mean look how many jobs Max Landis got and he only made like maybe one good movie okay yeah I I definitely agree in terms of I don't like that the industry is the way that it is. Um, I also think it's not impossible to make those connections. Like all you need to do is go talk to people at cons and like constantly do that. It takes a lot of time and money and effort. And that itself is a very big barrier and that's a problem, but it's not impossible. Um, Yeah. And then, 
I don't know. I mean, I'm, <laughs> I'm always like a more positive person. I don't look at this sort of thing as like, I guess the type of problem that you guys see it as, but I don't love it, but I don't hate it. So yeah, those are my thoughts. Yeah. I mean, like, I don't, I'm not, I'm not like, like dunking on this, like, like 22 year old for being able to write like a Spider-Man book. Like that's, you know, probably like, like a dream for a lot of people. And, 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 you know, like he will get, he may not get like, like comics related work or whatever, like for the rest of his life, but he's like surely going to be fine in the entertainment world because he's JJ Abramson. Like that's, that's all, that's all true and dandy and, and this, that, and the other, I think like, and, and I'm not even like mad at the fact that like, him particularly and JJ Abrams particularly like doing stuff. I think, I think Jess, I think you're right to bring in um, like, like the, the Tumblr post that, that Senator Grace put out about uh, his work on Iceman trying to kind of being like, like mis mistreated and misused and, and like, you know, fine. And then they canceled it and they brought it back and they didn't hype it up very much because I think, and I think that's true of like a lot of, of Marvel books that, that feature um, like queer characters and, and people of color that, that they, and I, th- and I think it's true of a lot of, let's just look of, 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 of comic them in general, that like all of the same different um, problems of power and, and, and privilege and, and, and racism and queerphobia and all those things like that exist in society, like exist in the comic, like in comic dumb. And because like comic dumb is like kind of this small world, they're under like a microscope and they're just like very, much more clearer on display than they are in other places and, and easier and harder at the same time to call out and to say like that, that this is not okay. And so I, 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 I'm not like frustrated with the fact that this book is, is coming out. I think like what it says about sort of what it's, what it says in relation to other things that are happening in the industry are, I think where, um, yeah, so question for you guys, if the Sinegrace stuff, which was terrible, <laughs> I think we've established that, um, if that hadn't come out at the same time, and if there was a way in the industry where like younger and newer writers had a clear path to get into comics writing, if that all was in place, like if the industry was just different, how would you feel about the henry abrams announcement i wouldn't mind it as much i just feel like marvel has so many issues on top of issues on top of issues especially when it comes to how they treat queer and and poc creators on both sides writing and art that it's just bullshit to then give this kid a a title like this that that that's what it comes down to it's just marvel is run so poorly If, if there were more opportunities given to different creators who have been proving themselves like i'm not saying just give a comic book to some artist that just started drawing yesterday i'm saying you've got people who are self-publishing who are putting out really good work they're not getting the opportunities they're not getting the shot to do anything i mean comics isn't going to make you rich but you're definitely going to make more money at marvel or dc than you would self-publishing your own comic aside from some of the stuff that gets really big on its own um you're just they're just not going to do that so it's just it's it's that that is what it comes down to for me if there were more opportunities given to people 
or at least they could at least more um, shots at getting in the door, then I would have less of a problem with this. And if, and in all honesty, if it were just JJ Abrams writing a comic book, then I would feel different about it, but it's literally his son who has nothing to do with comics and is suddenly being given Spider-Man. I mean, no, it's not the main series, but it's still Spider-Man. It's going to sell a certain amount of money because it's Spider-Man. That that that's that's my that's part of my problem with it. It's just it's just Marvel is a mess. DC's not much better, and it's just it's it's the industry as a whole. If there were more opportunities, then yeah, I would have less of a problem with this. It could be anybody's son. It would it could be any rich white guy's son. It would still be really weird to me. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think, I think it's part of it. It's like that. There's not like just as like there's not a clear path for for a lot of people into this this sphere of 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 being at the big two. And it is a lot about who you know and who you who you don't piss off and who you who you relate to. And it's and in a lot of ways, like it's definitely a boys' club, and and it's just kind of been like that. And it sucks because there are a lot of, yeah, like just like there are a lot of um, like great, like queer and people of color and, and, and women creators that like don't get work at the big two because of, of, of just like those lack of connections or just like the lack of, of, of support or this, or when they do get work, it's, it's, you know, they're not supported in this, that, the other. And, and that sucks. And that's a problem with the industry and, and it's a problem with Marvel and it's a problem with, the world and it's yeah it just sucks and so and it is and it is a chance in this one instance to be mad about all those things and mad about this and and frustrated with everything else and it, it all just kind of it, it sucks and that's kind of that's kind of where yeah cool no or not cool whatever um uh cool you have any, other, <laughs> any other thoughts anything else you need to get out before no okay okay a couple no. more things um before we transition so things that'll take probably much less time than that conversation uh marvel announced uh an ongoing series that'll begin in september called black panther and the agents of wakanda written by Jim Zub, illustrated by Leia Medina. It's starring Black Panther, Okoye, Wasp, um, Kazar, and Gorilla Man. And it's sort of like the Avengers, like Black Ops team. So kind of like Secret Avengers-ish. And it's spinning out of um, Jason Aaron's uh, Avengers book. And so all those characters have kind of been on display in Avengers. And were a little bit on display in the Avengers, like where the realms tie and stuff. And now they're kind of getting there their own uh, book now because black Panther's the the chairman of the Avengers and there's all those things that are happening. So, um, so Nick, we'll start with you. What are your thoughts on this, this book? Could we be more white trash? <laughs> that I swear that was the next, uh, that phrase on my list. Oh my God. <laughs> um, probably, probably so. Yeah. Uh, I mean, or not, I don't know. This is not, I don't, what do you, Never mind. Never mind. I don't. I don't know where I was, where I was going with white trash or not white trash or or this that and the other. Um, I'm glad that kind of, that's you know a very problematic phrase. 
Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm glad that we uh, don't make a habit of using it anymore. <laughs> yeah. No, that's fair. Uh, Jess, Jess, what about you? Black Black Panther thoughts or, or non-thoughts or white trash thoughts or whatever thoughts or... Uh, I'm not really a big Jim Zub fan, so... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. Um, I am kind of, like, not, like, excited, but I am going to, like, read the first issue just because, like, I've been liking what uh, Aaron's been doing in Avengers, and it is. Um, like, I've had questions about the, like, Agents of Wakanda that, that Black Panther started in that book, so... It's interesting that these questions may or may not get answered in this other book, um, but that's like about as far as that interest goes. It's just, yeah, cool. Okay, uh, one more little bit. So Marvel announced um, kind of like under the radar a little bit. I don't know that a lot of people really covered it or said anything about it online. Like I didn't see a ton, but there's a five issue weekly miniseries that's coming out in the month of October. That's being dubbed as like a street level horror event starring the thing, Iron Fist, Luke Cage, Jessica Jones and Moon Knight and others. And it's going to be called contagion because we're back to zombies being cool. And thanks. Uh, it's gonna be written by Ed Brisson and with art by a different artist, every issue. So, uh, Rose Antonio, Steven Segovia, uh, Mac Chater, Damian uh, Cucciaro, and Adam Gorham. Um, Nick, thoughts on contagion y things? I see dead people. Yeah, yeah, you do. Yeah, you do. Again, very convenient next phrase on my list. You're, you're just doing it. You're just doing it so well. Uh, Jess, thoughts? Or non-thoughts? I mean, I guess because The Walking Dead is over that we need more zombie stuff. So both DC and Marvel are like, here we go, zombie stuff for you. Yeah, I'm, I'm not I'm not into it. Sorry. Yeah, I have like really... So like the, the comicbook.com article that announced this this thing, or like they had the exclusive, so that like they've been working on this since January. And I just like, I'm curious if like DC and Marvel had the heads up that there was about to be sort of like a vacuum in the like zombie horror department. And so they're like, let's fill this. Um, Cause like the walking dead got like stealth, you know, stealth ended. So I don't, and like DC's got that deceased book that Tom Taylor's doing. That's like garnered a lot of praise that and comic sold is really wild. well. And... I don't know if I'm praising it, but it's something. <laughs> I read the first issue and I was like, what the heck? Uh, which is, is like great because he's like you know he's good at he's just like so good at like playing with like a lot of characters all at the same time and like playing with like well-established sort of characters and worlds and things um but yeah that comics that's comics nuts so this is a thing that's happening i like rose antonio and steven segovia we'll uh we'll see what happens um cool so that's really all of the news that we have at the moment. Like I said, we'll have the San Diego episode coming up um, soon. But this is sort of our last opportunity as a group together to be apathetic about a Marvel Cinematic Universe movie. <laughs> so we're going to talk a little bit about uh, Spider-Man Far From Home. Uh, Jess, you haven't seen Spider-Man Far From Home, have you? 
I have not, but I know all the spoilers. Right. So well, I can't wait to hear your thoughts. <laughs> apathy, apathy at its finest. Um, uh, so we'll talk a little. It's not going to be like a big conversation, um, but while we're here, uh, Spider-Man: Far From Home, sort of the epilogue film to these this like first big chunk of Marvel Cinematic Universe films, came out a couple weeks ago, July Fourth weekend. Um, Nick and I have both seen it. Uh, so Nick, we'll, we'll start with you. Take it away. So I went into the movie like 10 to 15 minutes late. I'm not sure how much, but I didn't really miss anything. <laughs> like the actual movie um, or like the previews 10 to 15 minutes late? No, no, the movie. Oh I got in okay. when uh, everybody was like, the press was all trying to interview Spider-Man. And then he like runs away and jumps on a building and then Iron Man's face is behind him. Which like the everything before that was in the trailer, so okay, yeah, you're right. Yeah, you're right. Okay. Did I miss much? Um, for the record, I never do this. I just it was the only time that I was able to see the movie, and it was like an impulse decision. And then, like the website was down, and then there were these old people in front of me who took forever. Yeah, <laughs> blasted old people. Um, I. I don't think so. Like, I'm trying to remember what happens before that. Cause it's all about like him doing Spidey stuff. And he like tells Ned about like his plan for the summer to like, uh, buy MJ that necklace. And also we're going to talk about spoilers for the film. Cause Jess only knows the spoilers. So if you haven't seen the film, like Jess has just read a couple articles and then you're fine. Yeah. Um, so I, I also looked it up and yeah, there was the, the news, article like or the tv news thing that was showing what happened during the oh blip yeah you're right yeah there was the uh, there was the, the their high school news did like covered the blip they called it they called yeah, the, and the then, five years the blip and yeah and then yeah when i walked in everybody was saying like oh he got blipped and you know it's really easy to catch on yeah um yeah which, and then, that was like a fun way to take care of that whole problem of like yeah all this stuff yeah. Just like to make it an um, issue. At least in that film. And then I, I missed the wind golem fight, but that was it. The what fight? The the wind golem. Like there were the four elementals. Oh yeah, yeah. He yeah. fought the wind one at the beginning. Yeah. But Myster- anyway. Mysterio um, and Mysterio and Nick Fury and, and Maria Hill fought the Nick one. The they fought the wind one. Okay. In Mexico. Spider Man yeah. didn't go there. <laughs> okay. So yeah, so that's yeah. Okay. Yeah, that all was really easy to pick up on and just figure out what happened because the movie is designed to where you can kind of walk in ten minutes late. Um, Yeah, but Spider Man Homecoming. I actually watched it again last night after seeing uh, Far From Home. Okay. Homecoming is still definitely my number one favorite Marvel movie. Far From Home is, like, closer to, like, mid-tier. And I feel like a lot of the movie's problems come from the fact that... And you see this a lot in the discussion uh, online about the movie. People are seeing it more as an episode in the Marvel Universe series as opposed to looking at it on its own as a movie. And in that sense, people are seeing it and saying oh, it's a great breather movie. It's a great, like, it's a good, fun thing that we needed after Endgame. And 
I feel like I haven't really seen people talking about it just as a movie, which I think was done on purpose to an extent. Like it's definitely a Spider-Man movie. It's definitely like it's purposely kind of continuity light, but the idea of it. And I think people's main appreciation of it is where it fits in the series, which is a really weird way to approach a movie, I think, but it's also what the MCU has normalized. So yeah, I just, those were my initial thoughts on that. Um, the movie itself. Yeah. I, I liked it. I didn't love it. It was fun. It was funny. It had some interesting ways of dealing with like the blip. Um, Jake Gyllenhaal and Tom Holland are both perfect. (laughs) This is also something that I put uh, a good amount of thought into. Tom Holland is like, well, Tom Holland is cute in a hot way. Whereas Jake Gyllenhaal is hot in a cute way. (laughs) (laughs) That is, that. that is the take I was waiting for. Yeah, and that's, uh, I there think was, that we all needed. Yeah, that's there really, was that, a, that's uh, a true breather, a true palate cleanser, cleanser after Endgame. <laughs> <laughs> um, there was a review. I'm on Letterboxd. Um, there's this guy Brian Rucker. He is one of the co-hosts of Goop Yourself podcast, and uh, that where they talk about goop and just sort of make fun of it every month. Goop being the Gwyneth Paltrow uh, newsletter. And, um, okay. yeah, he, he also just started a different podcast where he's talking about like big gay films, uh, of the past. Anyway, I started following him on Letterboxd because of that. And his review, it said something like, can Tom Holland and Jake Gyllenhaal, please just do a call me by your name already. <laughs> and so that was the, the lens that I watched the whole first hour of the movie through. And it was kind of perfect. <laughs> Like every scene. Um, But then the second half, and I feel like this is really good use of Jake Gyllenhaal in that the first half, he was like good guy, Jake Gyllenhaal, like love and other drugs and October sky, Jake Gyllenhaal. And then the second half of the movie, he was psychopath, Jake Gyllenhaal, like in Nightcrawler and Velvet Buzzsaw. Yeah. And like, it's the two things that he does perfectly. (laughs) He does the nice guy and the psychopath real, real well. And looks good while doing it. Mm-hmm. Hot in a cute way. Hot in a cute way. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's perfect. Yeah, I don't think that my thoughts like differ a ton from yours. I was kind of like, this is fine, um, and fun, and all that jazz. Like I thought that all of the him being a high school student, doing high schooly things, and like trying to like get MJ to like like him and stuff was like way better than any of the trying to tie into the Marvel cinematic universe things. Um, like him having the like Tony Stark martyrdom complex stuff is like not, I don't know, like not that interesting to me, mostly because I don't really, it's like, it was it's ridiculous. Yeah. It, it's so like, it's so weird because I feel like a lot of the people that are, are like regular comic readers as opposed to people who have gotten into Marvel comics because of the movies and who are like obsessed with the movies think that that's kind of odd. 
And the people that are like obsessed with like the movies who like cried when like Tony Stark died in the films and all that stuff, um, which like I'm a crier and I didn't cry when he died. Um, wow, big strong man. Yeah, big strong man. <laughs> I'm 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 cute in a hot way. Let me tell you. Uh, 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 or hot in a cute way. Whatever. Anyway, whatever. Um, whichever one's Tom Holland. Which one's Tom Holland? Hot in a cute way. Cute in a hot way. Cute Tom Holland is cute in hot way. Cute yeah. in a hot way. Okay, I want to be more like Tom Holland than I. Anyway, ah, uh, <laughs> uh, um, yeah, like I just like I just don't care, and like I don't really care that much about like the continuity of these movies and about like Tony Stark having spent like Robert Downey Jr. having spent ten years like defining this character because like that just seems weird and like forced to me at this point because I've kind of like forgot about it because we haven't had an Iron Man three film since i was in high school or we had an iron man film since i was in high school i know that like age of ultron and infinity war and endgame were supposed to be that for me but like i just don't feel that connection to that character um in the way that i should and so all the stuff about him trying to be like iron man 2.0 and also like like tony leaving him those glasses which is like super irresponsible and just like nuts um, just kind of like rang, not like false to me, but just kind of like, okay, well, this is happening and I guess it's happening. I just like wanted more Spider-Man antics doing Spider-Man-y things. I was going to say, will, yeah. I was going to say, I didn't see the movie, but I did hear that a lot, how they're like trying to make him almost like the new Iron Man and like, at least the new Tony Stark. That doesn't really sound like Peter Parker to me, which is weird. Like... There's certain things that Peter Parker yeah. kind of is, and like I don't see him being anything like Tony Stark. Because I think Tony Stark's kind of a shitty person for like a lot of his, at least like in the comic books. Like I think he even he definitely movie, is. Yeah, like I think he's kind of a shitty person most of the time. Like he's done a few good things, but he's kind of a shitty guy. So like I don't, yeah. I don't get that from Peter Parker. And yeah. like I don't know, I don't, I don't know. That just sounds weird to me because you're not the first person that has said that. Like I've been reading that a lot on Twitter, and it's like that's weird to me. Yeah, it was a whole plot line of the movie, basically. Like that was Peter's whole emotional arc. That's weird. Yeah, yeah, and like the stuff with like him and Happy were fine, but like him when he was like feeling bad about like trying to be like the next Tony, where it was like weird. Because yeah, because like mm-hmm. Tony. Even in like the Marvel Cinematic Universe is like a womanizer and an alcoholic and like makes really bad decisions. And like that's like the best version of Tony Stark. Like that's like the most interesting version of Tony Stark is the Tony Stark that's flawed and like screwed up and like wants to like look forward to the future. But like still has like all these like human like like foibles and flaws and things that like keep him from like being like a true sort of like futurist or whatever. However, that's like a dumb term. I don't even know why people call them. Anyway, whatever. Um but like like that's him and like tom holland trying to like spider-man trying to live up to that peter parker trying to live up to that was weird but like him like doing stuff with happy was fine also like happy trying to like date aunt may was hilarious um also like uh like it's marissa right marissa tome to me i forget her name yeah yeah. okay she's she's definitely hot in a cute way um love her um (laughs) yeah 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 but like that that all stuff was fine and all the, like the mysterio peter like cgi stuff was really really cool i thought but yeah some of the some of the movie just kind of like rang weird to me because i was like and i and i loved homecoming um 
because it was all the like high school drama fun stuff. And this was kind of like, it was just going, yeah. Which is weird because like I'm like somebody like as we talked about in this podcast that's like interested in like the continuity stuff and the overarching narrative. And like of the Marvel Cinematic Universe movies, I just like don't care that much. Yeah. Yeah. Can I can I just also mention that I still haven't seen Endgame? Have you not? <laughs> I haven't, no. I haven't. I, I honest to God did not feel like going to sit in a movie theater that long for an Avengers movie. Huh. Well, it's like I know, I know, I know everything that happens though. <laughs> it's like two million dollars short of you know beating Avatar. So if you're interested in, you're the reason, Jess. Yeah, I, I guess <laughs> you're I kinda the two million dollars. Yeah, see, I kind of don't want to see it now. Like at least where I have to pay for it. So like I'm I'm very purposely now just waiting until it's like on cable. <laughs> Do you guys think that was why they re-released Endgame? Oh yes. hell yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, that's the only okay. reason Definitely. because they wanted to make a record. <laughs> It it's why crazy. it's why Lil Nas keeps putting out uh, Old Town Road uh, remixes because he's really close to the, having the record, so he's got to keep the song fresh. Uh, okay. Hey, yeah. that, that song is. That song I love is, that song. Yeah, <laughs> I'm here for it. This is ca- coming from the kid who only listened to country music like exclusively until he was like 16 or 17. Like that song's great. Um, it's amazing. Yeah, yeah. I didn't know any better. I small town Texas. I I was not educated until later than i should have been but i don't know what's worse someone who says i only listen to country or someone who says i listen to everything but rap and country <laughs> those people suck the, the latter one see i've never been a country music fan but like when that song comes on i'm ready to like learn how to ride a horse let's go <laughs> <laughs> that's i've only i'm i've only ridden a horse like two or three times in my life i have i the really? town that i that yeah but the town that i grew up in had a, they had a rodeo they had a rodeo every year uh i would go to the rodeo i don't lot. think i've ever been like near a horse <laughs> oh really okay well <laughs> never mind then all right uh i was close but his head was too big it intimidated me that's <laughs> that's fair that's fair uh uh there are like a lot of good country songs about you know, like life and love and like losing your job and like losing your love and blah, blah, blah. like 90s, <laughs> 90s to like about like 2004 country music before like country music like sold out to like make money and like sort of like the the Taylor Swift, Brad Paisley, Kenny Chesney brand. Yeah, of, my like, sister's into that pop then, country stuff. She lives. It's fake. It's, <laughs> it's like. All this like shit of like, hey, I wear like hundred dollar jeans, but also like I'm a working man. It's not true. You're faking it. You're faking oh, it. Like, have you guys seen the the Bo Burnham like country yes, music? Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's that, but worse. Yeah, she, yeah. she's super anyway. into all that. Like, she's she's like, yeah, I love all that. I'm country. I'm like, you're not. But go off, I guess. Um, you're not. You're not. I'm saying it now. If you're listening, Jess's cousin. Sister. 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 Fuck. All right. You're Jess's sister. Especially you. You're not. Anyway. God damn it. Whatever. Uh, okay. Well, so the couple of like after the fact film things of the movie that I just like wanted to touch on briefly that I thought were interesting. So like the post credit scene stuff. The thing that Jess knows about because she's been on the internet. Yes. Um, yes. Oh, wait. Wait, I had some more, like, actual movie thoughts first. 
Jesus Christ, Nick. No, I'm just kidding. If you want to go ahead, go ahead, go okay. ahead. I um, so like during the movie, I think like 20 minutes in when I was there, so probably like a half hour in. Um, I I just thought it was the scene when they were on the bus and Peter puts on the glasses and the drone comes and he he's like, hey everybody, look mountain goats, and then he jumps up like on top of the bus. And you thought and... about the mountain goats, like the band, because. Um, exactly yes and that was all i wanted to say really no oh, okay. um uh when that whole thing happened i just thought this is like suspension of disbelief the movie that was how i felt the entire time like it took more suspension of disbelief than i was w- willing to have yeah there were like a couple bits like that where but like the 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 film played the, that part of it off for laughs which was good because like MJ was, excuse me, was like telling Peter that like all the like class has bets on like what he actually is, whether he's like a spy or, or this and the other. She's like, oh, he's Spider Man, like he's totally Spider Man, because um, like stuff like that is, I guess, becomes so common. It's like I had that thought when that happened, and then like as I kept going, I was like, no, this is like I'm glad that they're treating it in the way that like of course people have like suspicions when dumb things like that happen. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And then my other big thought, uh, you, you can really tell when it's Tom Holland and when it's a computer generated image. And there was a lot of like purely CGI scenes and they're always nowhere near as good. Um, like specifically I thought when Mysterio was putting him through like the, the like, uh, nightmare visions, uh, those scenes, were cool in theory, but I couldn't get into them because I felt like I was just watching a video game. And mm-hmm. I feel like that's kind of silly to complain about in 2019, considering that's what a lot of action movies are. Yeah. But there were like there were a lot of scenes where it actually was Tom Holland and those were great. Yeah. See, I thought like so I so I I kind of agree with you because I think like the better parts of the movie were were him like being you know, high school Peter Parker, this, that, and the other. But, like, I thought that the, like, those scenes were really well done because I wasn't, I wasn't, like, expecting them, I guess. Um, like, the, like, the twist of, like, Mysterio being actual, like, comic book Mysterio as opposed to this, like, multiversal hero thing. Um, not that, like, like, I was expecting something to happen, but, like, I wasn't expecting sort of, like, trick room uh you know like mirror hall kind of like stuff to happen and i thought those were like really really cool it's like for what they were like you were totally right like they're like all cgi and it's like not really him and and all that but i thought that they were like interesting mostly because like i expect cgi antics from for marvel movies now and i would much rather have the like wacky sort of trickstery cgi things from a Marvel film that I would have like Lord of the Rings battle CGI kind of thing, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So that's how, I, but I, I, you're right. Like it was all, you know, CGI nonsense and that's what action movies are now. Um, yeah. Uh, so. um, yeah. My, my one other thought, Martin Starr, amazing. I was surprised at how little they gave him to do in homecoming when I rewatched it. Um, he had like three lines. They were all funny, but he only had like three lines. This movie, they just doubled down on him doing his thing, and he was amazing. 
Which one is he? He was the teacher, the the main teacher. Yeah, the white teacher. Yeah. Okay. okay. Yeah, he was really funny. That was good. Yeah. I agree with you. Um. Uh, and and I like like I'm saying like the better part of the film was all the high school antics, which is why now that we're going to turn to the post credit scenes, um, the first post credit scene was like much better than the second one. Most like, and we have to talk about the second one because we're more we're Marvel podcast. But like the first one when like MJ and him are sort of like doing the like he's going to take her around, you know, crawling from building to building kind of thing was like cute and funny, and then also ended. And J.K. Simmons coming back. My boy. As J. Jonah Jameson. <laughs> your boy. You mean as G. Gordon Godfrey? As what? G. Gordon Godfrey. Oh, yeah. As when the, I, um, yeah. He, he did the same sort of thing that Young Justice has been using G. Gordon Godfrey as, which is like the Fox News commentator. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, that's what I had heard, that he's there, but it's not the same J. Jonah that we, uh-uh. we know. Yeah. And he's still my boy. He's like kind of like there because there are like moments in the comics where he like transitions to sort of being the like radio commentator. And like right now in the comments, he's like the he's like doing that. But he's like, you know, advocating for Spider-Man because he knows that like Spidey is like Peter or whatever. And he's sort of like the angry like news commentator person. But yeah, he is definitely like the the InfoWars He's like the Ben Shapiro of of like the Marvel Universe kind of right now, except like with a much less irritating voice. Um, I would love to listen to J.K. Simmons all day. Um, uh, so that's all going on. Um, <laughs> the way you said that, it was very intimate. Well, <laughs> I've never been intimate with Ben Shapiro, but in only oh my, my dreams, God. Well, I, mean, I, I don't think I don't think anyone it was, has. <laughs> it, it was the I could. I could listen to J.K. Simmons all day. I just like how he's just like, he's just great, you know? And, and and like, like all his stuff in, in the legend of Korra and then a bunch of other places. Like (laughs) anyway, I love J.K. Simmons. I fucking love J.K. Simmons. Um, Whiplash. Whiplash. Anyway. um, So there's that going on. And then there's sort of the like reveal reveal that I think we'll get sort of more news and more thoughts about as San Diego Comic-Con unfolds um, with uh, the reveal that the version of Nick Fury and Maria Hill that have been running around in the movie are actually two of the scrolls from Captain Marvel and Nick Fury is on some kind of like ship in the middle of nowhere. And so I was curious what your thoughts on that, because I think it sort of speaks to where the future of the Marvel Cinematic Universe is going, where it's going to be more sort of like, space facing and like earth protecting earth from like future sort of like crazy fucked up things like, like Thanos and Endgame, and less maybe like events happening on earth and care, like, you know, character things like Spider-Man, even though we might get those, mo- those kinds of movies, like the like big events are going to be like more spacey. And so I was, I was curious what y'all thought about that. If anybody I, thinks anything about that or cares about that, yeah, I don't. I don't think that it's gonna be like you said, like more universal. I think we're still gonna have a mixture of some movies that are on Earth and some movies that are like in space. But in terms of just the idea that he's working with the scrolls now, um, I, it could lead to something interesting. We have no idea what it's gonna be though, so there's not much i feel to comment on 
it, I thought it was interesting that that was the final end credits scene because Marvel does the thing where the one in the middle is the important one and the one at the end is the just silly joke. Whereas here, like that made it feel like the scrolls being the thing was just supposed to be a joke. So I don't know how much stock I'm going to put into that being important. But then again, the Peter and MJ swinging around the city was also just a small moment and not really a hint of bigger things to come. It was a small, well, no, but it was a hint because, because like, because J. Jonas Jameson like outs him. Oh, I forgot that that all happened in that first after credit scene. Okay. Yeah. Never mind then. <laughs> yeah, that yeah. was really important. Yeah, like he gets, which I was like surprised that that happened um, because I wasn't like expecting that for forever. Like even like when he gets outed in the comics, you know, like Civil War is like the really only like example that comes from like he does it purposefully and he's like an adult. So he can like handle sort of the consequences. Um, like I'm curious where they go from here. Like if they like shrug it off as sort of like it's a joke and, you know, we spend like 20 minutes in a movie like him doing some like jokey press conferences and things. And then like we get to the movie movie or if this is going to be like the big deal going forward where like Peter really is going to become like the next Tony Stark because he's going to be like super public. Um, The scroll stuff I thought was interesting because like, I think that that is kind of going to be the future of the Marvel cinematic universe. And everybody keeps talking about that. Like, Oh, well the next phase then is that we're headed to like a secret invasion film. And I don't think that's true because I don't think that like the scrolls in this universe are like malicious as malicious perhaps as they were in like secret invasion. Um, like, yeah, like Talos and his wife were like impersonating Nick Fury and Marie Hill, but it seemed like they were doing it on Nick Fury's orders. So it really seems like that we're moving towards something more akin to like a Kree scroll war than we are like a secret invasion kind of movie. Like, I think people will be pissed when they realize that there are, like, scrolls on Earth doing things. But I think that, like, we're getting set up to where, like, Earth is going to be, like, the scroll kind of, like, home world base thing. And, like, the Kree off doing things and Guardians of the Galaxy are going to get mad. And then we're going to have, like, a big, big old fight, fighty thing going on. But that's what I'm thinking. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Jess, you, you're online. What are your... Your uh, post-credit Spider-Man: Far From Home thoughts. So we've drug you into um, this. Yeah, I mean, you guys kind of said everything about the scrolls. I mean, I think I think a lot of people do think it was going to be like a secret uh, invasion type thing because it's like when you think of like all the big Avengers events, it's kind of like, well, that would be the one you do, right? You already kind of did Civil War in your own way, so that would be kind of the one you do. Um, so it's kind of interesting that they swerved everybody a little bit because now if like Nick Fury and Maria Hill are in on it and like they're taking their place and they knew about it, it wasn't like they were kidnapped or something, then it's already different because that's just not how that story worked. That was more malicious. This isn't really malicious. So it's like, well, now it's going to be definitely different, which I guess is good because I feel like it's a little less predictable than what I thought too. Because I definitely thought that was going to be the next thing. And now it's like, well, Captain Marvel kind of did the scrolls in a really different, in a bit of a different way. So, yeah, I think I think it's going to be more, like you said, I think it is going to be more like a Kree scroll thing with the Avengers kind of tossed in the middle somehow. 
which is okay, I guess. I don't know. It's like way too early to say anything. I mean, I usually care more about the solo movies than I do about the Avengers movies. Like, I'm not really in love with like any of the Avengers movies. I thought the first one was really good, and I haven't even seen Endgame, so. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I haven't done like the rewatch of all now, the like 23 films or whatever that I. I, I, I don't know if you could pay me enough to do that, in all honesty. I don't know if I could. I mean, I wouldn't do it, like, all at once. I would do it, like, over the course. But, yeah. I... It is, like, a lot. Um, and, and like, now that I'm saying all that stuff and, and I'm realizing that, like, people on the internet are, like, talking about, like, oh, we're going to get a Secret Invasion film. It's, like, it took, like, 11 years and 20-some-odd movies to get to the point where we got like a big blowout, whatever like that. So if we are getting some version of all those stuff, all that stuff, like we won't know for another, you know, like five or six years at least, um, which is, which is just wild. Uh, yeah. I don't know. Like, I think I'm like, I just am really curious about like this next phase of movies coupled with like the Disney plus show announcements because um, like they've told this like decade long story now and they're still ready for more. And I just like, not that I think that this next phase is going to like crash and burn, but like they could just go out now and nobody would blame them. And like, they would have the integrity of like having told this like big, long meta narrative and things would be cool. And of course they're not going to do that because, because money and capitalism and this, that and the other, but like, yeah, it's just like it's inter- it's just interesting. Like I just I'm like like where do you go from here? Like having told what seems like the biggest decade long arc of any film franchise in human history, where do you go from here? So, I don't know. I don't know. All right. Uh, I don't know. Um, yeah, <laughs> yeah, my my final thought on the movie Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it's it does pretty much the same thing that Ant-Man and the Wasp wanted to do, but with better plotting. Yeah. Yeah, I agree with that. I agree with that. It's because that movie was like a quote-unquote like palate cleanser, and this is like a for real, for real though, kind of that. Mm-hmm. So I do agree. I do agree with you on that point. That's a good, that's a good parallel. I hadn't thought about that one. Um, great. Well, folks, we're going to take a quick break. And then when we come back in the second part of the episode, we're going to talk about a few issues from June, July, and we'll see you then. Hello, everybody. My name is Mike. And I'm Greg. And together we are Robots from Tomorrow, a twice-weekly podcast appearing at multiversitycomics.com. Each week we take some time to check out books and shelves on Wednesday that are worth your attention. And each month we dissect the previous catalog. We also have long-form discussions about books we've enjoyed like Dan Clow's Ghost World and Jack Kirby and Mike Royer's Commanding. And if that's not enough, we also do creator interviews. Some of the talks you'll find in our archives feature Mike Mignola, Leila Del Duca, Sean Martinborough, Emma Beebe, and Greg Rucka. So that's a lot of content for everybody. Please subscribe to Robots from Tomorrow and iTunes or Stitcher so you never miss a thing. Robots from Tomorrow has hours of comic-focused entertainment week in and week out. And now, back to your show. And we're back. 
For this second part of the episode, we'll be talking about some of Marvel's big output from the end of June, beginning of July. As I said, in the first part of the episode, we'll have uh, another episode come out in a couple weeks covering House of X and Powers of Ten, which are some of the other big books coming out in the month of July. Uh, you know, shortly after San Diego Comic-Con. Another, you know, couple of books that are coming out are all the things that are spinning out of War of the Realms, number six, which, uh, you know, uh, came out at the end of June. And so we'll be talking about a little, we'll be talking about that issue. We won't be talking about the issues that spun out of it, but those are happening. So Loki, number one, Valkyrie, number one, and the War of of the Realms Omega issue. Um, We won't be talking about those issues, uh, and other things that are coming out in July, like the history of the Marvel universe and the invisible woman book. Um, what we will be talking about uh, in this order are the Miss Marvel annual number one, part of the acts of evil event, uh, giant size ecstatics number one, and then war of the realms number six uh, in that order. So that's what we're going to be doing. We'll have another episode in a couple weeks to talk about some other things. Um, but first, we'll get into it. So we'll talk about Miss Marvel Annual Number One, part of the Acts of Evil event. It's Miss Marvel versus the Super Scroll, uh, written by Max Visaggio, illustrated by John Lamb, colored by and I looked this up. Uh, how you say it? It's M Sassy K, and it like stands for uh, it's Michelle. Uh, uh, as, as Sarah Korn, who's a Thai Canadian uh, artist and colorist, and then lettered by Joe uh, Karamagna. So, Jess, we'll turn to you first. What were your thoughts on the Miss Marvel annual? Um, so I've been like really behind on like basically every comic. Um, so I jumped into this without really having read any Miss Marvel for a little while. Um. It's pretty good. It's 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 a fun little one-off like issue. Um, I have like I said, I I'm kind of out of loop on like bigger things. Um, but I did enjoy this. Um, it doesn't to me. It doesn't completely read like the um old G Willow Wilson scripts. Um, which I guess I still have to get used to. Um. But it's not a bad comic. It's just it's for me. It just kind of it just kind of fell like right in the middle. Had some cute moments, but it just it didn't read like those old scripts to me. Um, I couldn't really put my finger on it. It just it just didn't. It still feels like Ms. Marvel. It just doesn't feel like the original series that I fell in love with. I think that's just me having to get used to something else. Yeah, I think that's fair. Um, I will say like. Of the three issues that we're going to talk about in this in this segment, like this is the one that I I enjoyed the most, um, and and I think you're right. Like it doesn't necessarily read like what G. Will Wilson um, was doing with the character, mostly because like I think that I think part of it was like Wilson um, as like someone who like created a Muslim character and like who is like a practicing Muslim herself was like able to like impart so much of like herself into the scripts. And into like the character of Miss Marvel. And I think that like Saladin Ahmed and like Max Asagio, like both who just like don't have that background, are not able to do um, some of that work in the same way that Wilson was able to. But I think that like Max captures more of like who like uh, like Kamala as like a like a teenage girl, just like trying to do like the best that she can in this world. 
Um, like she captures that better than like Saladin Ahmed has been able to in like some of like the first few issues of like his run that he's um, been doing. And so I think like in that way that like she succeeds definitely. Um, but that, but I think that you're right. Like some of it is like getting used to like that this character is like exchanging hands and things are going to be a little bit different. Um, but Nick, what did you, what did you think of that, of this, of this annual? Yeah. Very similar thoughts to you guys. Um, I, the whole time I was reading it, I had to like remind myself, okay, this isn't the G Willow Wilson. And it's funny because like, uh, I, I try so hard to, look at a character from what the creator can bring to it. But G. Willa Wilson, like you guys said, she brought so much of herself to Miss Marvel in the whole five years since her introduction that it's hard to see it written by anybody else. But even so, um, I, I thought this felt a lot closer than the Saladin Ahmed stuff. Uh, I only read the first two issues of Saladin Ahmed, but I dropped the book because I just, I didn't really like it. Um, but this, it wasn't great, but I felt like Mags Visaggio was getting closer in the sense that like she wanted to make a social point. Like she had Kamala say the whole thing about like breaking a cycle and like moving forward into like progression and things like that. And that all was good. Um, but for the most part, it was just like ordinary superhero comic one shot. Like there, there just wasn't so much to it beyond that. I don't want this to sound like super mean. Um, Cause I don't mean it to, but um, with, with this issue, when Kamala's like going on this whole thing about heroes and what they should do and stuff, the points were really good. And I like that. I like that viewpoint. It's just the way it was written kind of reminds me of South Park. <laughs> like uh, when um, Stan and Kyle will like, I hope I didn't, I haven't watched South Park in forever, but that sounds when they'll right. like, I I mean, yeah. when, when they'll like, so like in some episodes where they're like trying to make some big point, a running joke in the show has become like at the end, one of them will make like this whole big speech that just like kind of just tells you exactly what they were trying to say in the episode in the most direct on the nose way possible. And it like feels weird in the context of like the story that you just told, like we could pick up on what you were trying to tell us. Like you didn't have to like for them, it's become a running joke, but like this, the way that it was written for Kamala kind of reminded me of that. And I don't like that. Um, yeah, I don't want that to sound like horrible, like the meanest thing I could say about the book, but it kind of, because South Park isn't very good. Um, it kind of reminded me of that. It was like, well, let me stop the action for a minute and get on this soapbox and tell you exactly what we're, what I'm saying here. It was like almost <laughs> too direct. Um, it's yeah. a good point. They're good points. I just didn't like how it was written. Yeah, it, it felt like Max Visaggio was trying to do the whole like make the big point near the end of the issue or arc thing that G Willow Wilson used to do, but it's just, they have different writing styles. So it didn't really work yeah. as well. Well, here. part of it is cause like Will Wilson's like entire style of writing, um, like Kamala, like revolved around 
having like the the inner monologue boxes and like the thought boxes and like us getting into her head and and Visagio and excuse me and Saladin Ahmed kind of to a lesser extent haven't like been relying on that as much that's interesting that you bring up South Park Jess because like what I was thinking of like reading this issue were like parts where um it seemed very like Batman the animated series um especially like uh like when like Captain Hero or whatever the deuce's name is it has that like moment where he like comes in and says like I am vengeance and then I just like wanted like right after it to say like I am the knight and then it to say like I am Batman because like that's just like what I associate like the phrase I am vengeance with because like that's like the sort of like title whatever of Batman the animated series um <laughs> And then Kamala comes in immediately. And <laughs> she's, she's like, like wait no, a minute. No. Like, that's not what we're doing here. Um, uh, Cause like, this is, and, and especially too, like with the jokes of like, like Kamala joking with, with the shebang with like the villain, which is like a hilarious name um, of like, you know, this isn't the eighties, this is not 89 or 84 or whatever. Of like, this is like not the old, the old, whatever. Like, you know, thinking of like, this is not the old, like Batman, like that are on your turn. So like, this is not like Batman, the animated series, or this is not like any of those old, like your, you know, your grandpa's comics or whatever, your dad's comics anymore. Like this is no, that doesn't even make sense. 84 and 89 were not that long ago. Um, this is not like those comics, like this is like new and, and, and this, like, I thought that that stuff really kind of like worked, not it, not even just in like the end where she's like saying stuff. And then like the super scrolls, like talking about the future, but I thought like some of it was like embedded in the issue itself. And I thought was really, really fun. And I thought too, it was like embedded in the art style. Like I loved John limbs uh, and M's SK's like, like art stuff here. Um, and I really thought like, like Kamala's like hair throughout the issue with like the short hair. And then like in the scene, like where she's got it like back in a bun or like in a like short ponytail was like really, really cool. Like, um, like, uh, Minkyu Young and Nico Leone. Well, Nico, like Minkyu Young more so like in the current stuff, like the hairs, like kind of stuff. Like, I think like it just like looks really, really cool here. And I think like, like John Lim's whole style, which like kind of looks more anime-y and then like, and all like the, the panels where like action stuff is happening and there's like all the blur lines or like there are even like lines like where like characters are moving and like parts of their costume like are like jutting out kind of in the in the like blurish lines and still looks like like the like the costume um and like like i like how like kamala like like has like the like the freckles on her face and stuff like i just think like the the art and the like the art here like kind of sells some of the more like optim optimistic like we're looking toward the future stuff that is sort of like a little bit preachy, but kind of not, I don't know. Like I really, really enjoyed this issue. It sounds like more than like, than, than y'all did. It was like a refresher. Cause I have been keeping up with what Ahmed's been doing. He's like four or five issues in now. And it kind of hasn't, it's about the same as it was in the first couple. And this was good. Yeah. Um, yeah, I definitely agree that the art was very good. And Specifically, the the character design for Shebang, right? That was her name, right? Shebang. Um, it was as soon as she showed up, I was like, "This is yes. such a Max Visaggio creation." <laughs> yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah. That's it. <laughs> That's all I had to say about that. 
Yeah, yeah. The art, the art was very well done. It, it, it did the opposite for me of what the writing did. Like the art made me feel like I was still in like the Ms. Marvel world. Like it still, it very much felt like that, which the writing didn't. So that's good. Does this does this book make either of y'all want to pick up more of the Acts of Evil books? What is an Acts of Evil book? <laughs> I was going to ask the same thing. <laughs> oh, great. Um, uh, yeah, so that's like all these annuals that are running um, July, August, September are part of uh, this sort of event called Acts of Evil, where it's like all these heroes are fighting villains that they wouldn't normally fight. And it's like based off this 90s Marvel event called Acts of Vengeance, which is similar, which pitted heroes against villains that they wouldn't normally fight. Um, and like the creators on like, so there's like another, there's like one coming out um, this, this week, I think that's like Punisher versus um, something spacey. Uh, but like the people were really excited about the creators because it's like creators like um, I like like Max Vistagia, who I haven't gotten a lot of uh, like Marvel work. So like it's like this next week. So there's a Punisher annual. It's Punisher versus the Brood Queen, and it's written by Carla Pacheco, and then illustrated by Adam Gorham. And there's also this month like a Venom annual, and it's Ryan Caddy's writing it, and it's art by Simone Di Medio. Um, so it's like those kinds of anyway. I don't know. It sounds like this does not make y'all want to read other books like that because you, you no, know no, I don't. Well, I'm good. I'm good. Cool. cool. Okay. Then, um, any other, any other thoughts then? No. Great. All right. Jess. No. Okay. Moving on. Um, next up we have the giant sized ecstatics, uh, number one, one shot written by Peter Milligan, illustrated by Mike and Laura Allred. Um, this is the first time that Peter Milligan and oh, and, and lettered by uh, Nate, um, Nate Picos. Um, this is the first time that Peter Milligan and Mike and Laura Allred have gotten back together to do ecstatic stuff. Um, since they finished that book together that they um, did in the early 2000s. It's sort of like a big, fun, um, historic whatever part of their run. They were doing X-Force and then renamed the book to Ecstatics and ran that, and it was it's a, a celebrated thing. I was curious, before we get into this, um, have either of y'all read the original Ecstatics um, run with Milligan and Alred? Some of it, not all of it. Okay. Um, no. <laughs> uh, X-Force, like what they did right before Ecstatics, is on that list of X-Men comics I want to get to someday. Okay. Okay. I have also not read the Ecstatics stuff that they did, but, but it's it's like, um, you know, popular, like highly regarded, yada, 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 all that jazz. Um, Jess, you said you read some of it. What do you think of... of 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 that at least the part of the run that you I read. really liked it I mean the only reason I haven't read the whole thing is just because there's so much to read and just not enough time to dedicate to a whole thing as much as I want to but it's really good it's really weird like it's always I mean I always think of like 
I don't know. I think of it as like something the X-Men line kind of needs something that's so off the wall and weird um, that it works. Like the, the, the fact that they brought everybody back together and then there's going to be a new series is awesome to me, but we'll get to that. Um, but yeah, I, I liked it. I like weird. So it's like, I'm a huge doom patrol fan. So like this to me is like X-Men, but doom patrol. So yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I like it. That's a good comparison. Yeah. Was this, was the original Ecstatics, it was running about the same time that Morrison was doing New X-Men, I, I right? I think so. It was, yeah, it was around the same time. Yeah. I don't know if they ran together. Okay, okay, okay. So in that realm of... of early 2000s. Of, as we're, early 2000s, and as we're talking about House of X and Powers of Ten, sort of like the last... The last era of groundbreaking X-Men stuff, as C.B. Skowalski and the Marvel office would like us to believe or think about. I mean, that might be true. Um, cool. Okay. Well, then, uh, Jess, we'll, we'll start with you. What did you think of, of this one shot of, of getting the band back together and being weird? Um, I really like this. Of the three issues that we were covering for this pod, for this episode, this is my favorite one by like far like i like this way above everything else um like i said i like weird stuff like i like when it's like superheroes but like it's things don't really go very well for them so like i like that this issue kind of tells you everything about like enough of what you need to know about the old team how like most of them are dead and how like as a team they were a mess and like dupe is running around doing weird shit to everybody like he's just like experimenting on everybody and all of a sudden this is how they have a new team of new kids because he was doing some weird stuff in the lab and um it's a weird story it's it's not like it's not like reading like morrison x-men or even like josh whedon x-men or claremont x-men it's very very different um which i think is good and that that's why this issue worked for me because i think it covered a lot of ground that you needed but also kind of told its own story and led lead you into um that new series that they're gonna do really well i i think i i think if you don't know a lot about the group and like you go into this blind i think it's it's a little different you might not um love it love it i i could see why you wouldn't um but like i said i think it's like very doom patrol but x-men um and i think that this series coming back at the time that um hickman's about to start his big thing i think that's perfect because i think what he's gonna do is gonna be really similar to what he did with avengers and it's gonna be like this big grand thing it's gonna be kind of on the serious side um with like maybe little bits like little one-liners here and there that are really good but i think it's gonna be more serious and i think that when you have like the x-men it's like when you have the avengers like these big lines i think it's good to kind of have something like this like this as like a breath of fresh air and has like some different kind of characters you won't see in like those two x-men books he's doing like these people are not going to show up over there they wouldn't fit with them they're the weirdos they're the doom patrol so yeah i i liked it i i really did i enjoyed it i i will say i have concerns about the character fatty (laughs) um yeah i have concerns um i think that that can go in two different directions there's um the really bad direction which if i was a betting person i'm pretty sure it's gonna go that way but there's also this really fun side of it that could be like yeah she's gonna be who she's gonna be and embrace that and that's why she's taking that name um 
but I'm, I mean, the fact that she's said to be a, a star on the runway is, is good. Um, cause I think that's kind of embra- her embracing her power and her size. Um, but I am concerned. I am very concerned. <laughs> sure. Sure. Nick, what do you, what do you think? Um, so about the issue in general, <laughs> not particularly fatty. Um, I usually love this sort of book. Yeah. Um, like the, the weird thing that happens off in the corner away from the man stuff, but I couldn't get into this issue. I just didn't care at all. Um, yeah. And huh. I, okay. I, I'm struggling to understand why. Um, Milligan, I'm like on and off with, so I'm not sure if it was him. Mike Allred though, I think I just don't like his work. Which is weird because I always thought that I would love it. And like I, I liked the first few issues of Ab- Madman, but then when it became an ongoing, I didn't really care for it. I could never really get into uh, him and Dan Slot on Silver Surfer. His, uh, the Matt Fraction uh, FF run that he was on the art for, I liked the writing, but there was just something about it that was just boring to me. I, I didn't really like Bug. Yeah, pretty much everything Mike Allred. I think I just don't like his art. I don't know if it's his storytelling, if it's uh, like the the mixture of the art with the coloring. I don't, I don't know. But yeah, I, I feel this way about everything that he does, no matter who the writer is. So I think that colored my uh, my reaction to it. Um, yeah, I I have trouble figuring out exactly why though. Yeah. That's interesting. I think you might be in the in the minority there of not like in the the Mike Allred. So like we were like I mean even just like the internet this week like the news that he's doing like a Bowie graphic novel even though people knew that he was doing a David Bowie graphic novel that's been announced for a while. But like seeing pages that a lot of like people were very, very excited. Like um like I I love Mike Allred's stuff and I think I think like I associate him with weird books and things like I loved bug and I loved him on silver. Like I love the silver surfer stuff and less so even because of like the dialogue things that were going on and more just because I could stare at Mike Allred stuff. So that's really interesting that you said that. I, I do think that like um, parts of this issue were like really, really odd, I guess to me. Um, but I thought it was like gorgeous, but it was like gorgeous in like a slightly off kilter way. And I think like Jess that you're like, that you're absolutely right to like point to like, like, like fatty as a character possibly being weird. Cause like a lot of the, like, because they're, this issue is like talking about culture wars and like them getting the band back together in order to like be sort of the like television reality show, like YouTube TV, like group or whatever. Again, and it like reads sort of like culture worry and like the, the like slightly like I'm an old fart and I'm out of step with things kind of way. But it seems like a little bit smarter than that. Like they use like to talk about um, like one of the characters, they say that like he added himself as a, as a homosexual. I like, that's like the word that, that Milligan uses. Um, and there are like a couple other bits like that, where it's like, seems like, it's like trying to be like not even edgy, just trying to be like relevant, but in like a, this is like an old school 
team trying to like get back in the limelight. And so it makes sense that it would be sort of like a, an older character, an older writer who has done ed quote unquote, like edgier things, like trying to like make sense of these, this like time that like they find themselves in. So like there were parts of like, I, I, I agree with you, Nick, like it wasn't like a book that I was like, Oh, like this is like really, really great. Like I love this. It was one of those things like I read it and I was like, huh. And like, I like reread parts of it. And I was like, this is really interesting. It's like trying to be really, really smart and trying to be like new and reinvent itself and still trying to do some of the things that it did in the aughts. And I, and I haven't read the, that book, but like based on like what this issue tells me about that series from the early 2000s, um, it sounds like it's trying to do some of the same stuff and then like this different, this different like zone and this different realm of, of being, which is like completely different of, of what that, that like, like what the early two thousands was. Um, so I don't know if that, if that gets at any of the things that you were, you mm-hmm. were thinking or trying to articulate. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, like I said, with Milligan, I'm on and off. Uh, even, even his work today, like he'll put out a book one month that I love. And then one, the next month, there's a different book that I don't like. And in the past, I love Shade the Changing Man. Um, it's like, I think an all time great comic, but yeah, I, I, something about this book, I just couldn't get into. And I really, I think it is Mike Allred's art more than it is the writing. Um, but I also think that the writing, like in its quest to be sort of quirky and offbeat, uh, it, it, it didn't really get to an emotional core that I like to have in my stories. Um, everything seemed almost, uh, I, I can't think of the word, but like just emotionless. Yeah. <laughs> no, I was going to just say about the art. Um, I've read a lot of Mike Allred and, and uh, drawn stuff. My biggest problem with his art, and this is kind of something you can see through a lot of his work, is his leading women always look the same. And that's always something that bugs me. Um, He's good to me at creating expression, um, but sometimes that expression can be a little little repetitive. And there are times in this issue, and I am a fan of his work, um, but there are times in this issue where the the women kind of share the same face. If you look at Katie... Her, she looks like Dawn. Uh, was that her name from Silver Surfer? I think that was her name. She, she looks, ex- they look exactly the same. They're like the yeah, same. Yeah, I was, I was um, thinking that too, like reading this. He's yeah. a bit better with men, um, yeah. but the faces yeah. for the women oftentimes look the same. Um, but I, I do enjoy his work. Um, it's just, I don't know. Like, I think... It's weird because I think that maybe he's a great artist and like I think that David Bowie book's going to be kind of interesting to look at. Um, But uh, I don't know if like going for a modern uh, ecstatics that you that that he's like able to do like super modern. It's like either you're going to be modern or you're going to be more on the offbeat 
weird side and like i think that he does offbeat and weird really well but i don't know if he does modern right and i keep going back to doom patrol because the doom patrol series is visually kind of weird but it's not trying to be super modern like it's not the doom patrol is not running around trying to be on youtube you know so i wonder if maybe there's this disconnect between that in this series I don't know. I'm just kind of throwing that out there because I don't know. I think that there might be a weird disconnect and that that might take away from like enjoying it. <laughs> Maybe. I, I think it was also that stuff seemed not totally organic to me, yeah. but maybe that's because it was relying on the past history of the team and that just being a thing that they did. Like, yeah, I felt like yeah. all of a sudden they were like, dude, get me from this angle. And that was like all that there was to that. And in those moments, also, like the art didn't like convey that idea in a way that I would want because Mike Allred's figures are like sort of like clay figures that are just being moved around as opposed to like cartooning that I typically like in art. Yeah. Yeah. I'm- yeah. That's, that's fair. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, like I yeah, like I, like I said, like I haven't read the like original series, um, and I think like what both of you are saying, what both of you are saying, like points to the like some of like the offness of of the issue that I that like I felt reading it, and I think some of that was per- I think some of it's purposeful, and I think some of it is conveyed through all reds like all red style and art and. And I do think that you're right, Jess. Like this is like very sort of um, like nostalgia y and like nostalgia like very much like picking up threads like from this series, like from this explicit series. Like I haven't read it, but it definitely seems like they're sort of like picking up or trying to pick up like right kind of like where they where they left off. Um, and if they're gonna like because like the X Men franchise and because like a lot of like comic dumb um, in general has like been sort of like 90s nostalgia whatever like land if if we're gonna do that and we're gonna revisit concepts and this that and the other then like this is the way that i want to do it with like these original creative teams like returning to like to something um to try to do like something like slightly different and whether they succeed or not is like a whole whole other different whatever um but i do think it'll be fun like going forward in the next year like getting this new series, this, this, um, the excellent, um, series from this creative team doing something like kind of like off kilter and weird. Um, and I am excited for, for that. Um, so yeah. Cool. All All right. Well, moving on to our, our last book, um, we're going to talk about some endings because we're <laughs> at an end and things. Um, Cause Nick, Nick is leaving us to, uh, to go get a real job. Comics aren't for kids anymore. And Nick's an adult, <laughs> so he's going to do real adult things. Um, um, so we're going to talk about war of the realms number six, which is the last issue of the series written by Jason Aaron, illustrated by Russell Dodderman and colored by Matt Wilson. Um, so Nick, we'll, we'll start with you since we're doing the ending thing. What did you think of this last issue? You and I read together the first issue for the podcast and you hadn't read a lot of, of, of Aaron's 
Thor run and all that. So what did you think about, about this issue? Yeah, the last uh, issue of Aaron's Thor that I've read was War of the Realms number one, which is also the only issue of Aaron's Thor that I've ever read. And my thoughts on this issue are the exact same as my thoughts on that issue. <laughs> I honestly, I feel like I don't have much to say that I didn't already say during that episode. Um, like Matt Wilson's colors, amazing. Russell Dodderman, like super impressive, just the way that he varies his, like the way that he uses his line for each character and each just element in the image and his framing and everything that he does is great. Um, Jason Aaron is a like very good writer. I can tell that this is well-written, even if I don't really have a big uh, stake in what the characters are and what they're doing. But uh, yeah, he's also interestingly, I feel like a pretty compressed writer in the sense that his pages are pretty dense with dialogue and caption boxes. And I think that's really interesting because the story itself is like not a ton happens. Like there's pretty much everything because the last issue reaches its climax and all those separate plot threads do their thing. But yeah, uh, the, the panel by panel scripting is pretty dense. I always think that's interesting. Um, but those are, those are, the only really thoughts that I had on this. Sure. Sure. I think that that makes, I think that makes a lot of sense. Um, and in some of what we talked about with, uh, with the first issue, um, Jess, you've, you've read a little bit more of, of Aaron's Thor stuff, um, that you hadn't really caught up on, 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 on this, this event or whatever. what do you think of, of this, this ending? Um, this is tough because I don't really know what to say because I didn't read any of um this event like none of it not any tie-ins nothing um so I read just the ending and I don't know like I feel like I maybe should have read everything before um before we did this because I just felt like I got tossed into like a huge thing and I don't know how anybody ended up where they were at um but it was pretty. <laughs> it was really really pretty yeah. um and i guess thor finally being the guy in charge is a uh, is good um that took a long time to get yeah. to so um yeah that was that was good um but yeah i i i'm that's kind of all i got because i didn't really read much of it so any of it really Okay. <laughs> um, yeah, that's, yeah, yeah, that's, that's fair. Um, cool. So I will, like, I will say, cause I've read like all of like Aaron's Thor stuff, um, that like the war, like the war of the realm series. So, and some other people like in other reviews that I read of this issue, like kind of pointed this out sort of a little bit also, it's like very like you're both right. Like it's very like it's a very beautiful issue. Like Russell Dodderman and Matt Wilson um, together are like a, a tour de force, and uh, like their their art is just like gorgeous. Um, and like the way that like Dodderman 
constructs like panels. Um, it's very like inventive and 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 different. And he like does like very interesting panel layouts and draws like very interesting like panel shapes and and this that and the other and just like does like a really great job. I've like have really thought that a lot of this event has been sort of like oddly paced. Um, and Nick, you kind of like alluded to, to some of this in your in your comics because it's like because Aaron does utilize a lot of like caption boxes and a lot of this issue like particularly was like dialogue heavy even though like you're right like not a lot happens like Thor the Thors are just like fighting Malekith um and that's kind of it and it's just like felt really weird to me that this whole event series even though like it's been beautiful to look at and like and like Aaron's nailed all of the characters like he like nails like the core essence of all the characters like there's not a character in the Marvel universe in any of these issues that he writes that doesn't feel in my opinion like true to who they are like he nails all of that like all the dialogue seems very true it just like seems that it didn't need to be this big and it feels like very inflated um and in a way that just like seems really odd even though like the core ending of this story is a thor story like the last page of the story like thor like odin naming naming thor the all-father and then like this issue like him getting mjolnir back and i like those are like very core and like him becoming um like him saying like i'm not like i'm not worthy i'm the god of the unworthy like those are all picking up on like very specific themes and ideas that like aaron's been playing with throughout this whole eight year seven year whatever run of his that he's been doing um it just like feels very odd that like this event in particular like got inflated to the point that it needed all these tie-ins and it needed all this extra stuff and it needed all of these things going on, even though like at the core of it, it's like a, it's a Thor story. And like, there's a lot of sort of like fat on this series and, and you get that like reading some of the tie-ins and you get it like reading some of the issues, like, like the way that like, and the order that things happen in like seems just like kind of odd. And it seems like, like we're kind of like skipping from event to event to event or like things that happen to things. I don't know. Um, there's like something about reading like these six issues with like a handful of the tie-ins that, like to me felt just like kind of odd. Um, and I don't know that it needed, like it could have been huge. It could have been a war. Like it could have been a war. It could have been Malekith and Thor fighting, but I don't know that we needed this like separate big event. And a lot of people were comparing it to, Hickman's like Hickman and Asad Ribic's like Secret Wars and saying that this was the best event that Marvel's done since Secret Wars happened. Um which is fine and can be true and is maybe true. But like that event like ended Hickman's sort of like long narrative of things. And this event sort of like is like a point like towards the end of like Thor becoming the Allfather. But like Aaron still got after this like he has that omega he had that omega issue that came out this last week which is more about like jane and punisher and loki getting new series which are coming out soon and then he's got two more thor issues which like the july issue came out thor number 15 and it's like it it's just like an epilogue to war of the realms um where like malekith kind of gets he gets like his prison sentence and hell because he's dead and like 
you learn more about Thor being the all father and things. And then there's one more issue after that. And he's getting that, like that, like King Thor limited series. Um, it just like, seems weird that this was like a big Marvel event. Um, cause it like kind of has an ending, but like, doesn't really have an ending in the way that like a big sort of like line wide event should. I talked for a long, really long time. My bad. No, that's cool. Um, you have the most to say about this. Yeah, yeah, because I, I have nothing about this, so. <laughs> okay. Yeah, like, I liked, like, I like I I liked it, and, like, I've, I've loved, like, this whole run, and, like, all of the ideas that Aaron's been playing with about, like, gods and unworthiness and worthiness and, like, the kinds of things that we ascribe to, like, divinity and, like, the kinds of things that we, like, ascribe to ourselves and, like, um, and like Jane's whole story of like dealing with like godhood, but like trying to like become or like deal with like gods that like are are good enough to believe in. Like all of that has just like been like beautiful and um, like hitting like a lot of points for me. And like this whole event, some of it like fell really flat to me. And I think part of it was because it became a big Marvel line wide event. Um, and it just happened in like really quick succession too. like it's like three months and, and it's already over. Um, which is like part of like the way that Marvel's publishing things now, but also like they published like over like a hundred dollars worth of comics in April, May, and like July or June. And it like, it's just wild to me that like this event's already over and wild to me that like we got six issues of Donnerman art and it's already over. Um, yeah, I, I like the expediency of the event. Or rather, I probably would if I were to read this sort of event anymore. <laughs> um, but yeah, the thing you were saying about it not really feeling like a Thor book, me not really having the perspective of the overall Thor series, it very much felt like a Thor book to me. Um, yeah. Like There were only a few pages really dedicated to the... like. Yeah, there was like two pages where you had all the other characters like Wolverine, Punisher, and uh, whoever else was there, Daredevil. Uh, There was like two pages toward the beginning and then like a page of epilogue and maybe like one or two pages where they were involved in the action in between. But almost everything else was Thor stuff. Yeah, like like this this issue, like the last issue was very like thriving. Like the middle part of, of, of the event is maybe more what I was talking about when I made that comment. Um, cause like Thor gets like, like, um, teleported off to Jotunheim and he's like fighting frost giants and he doesn't come back in to the main series until like the third or fourth issue. Um, cause Cap and Luke Cage and Iron Fist and Wolverine and Spider-Man have to go get him and bring it back. And then that's when he goes, um, to like to the sun, to the world tree with, daredevil and gets tries to get mjolnir back and like figure out how to like beat malekith um it's like this issue yes like him and aaron threading the like thor from the far future like the king thor from the far future and like the younger thor um like all that stuff like those are are things that he's played on in his whole entire run um it's like this issue maybe the more the most feels like a thor book and it's good. Like it's 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 good. Like I'm not I'm not trying to say that I didn't enjoy all the things that were happening. I just felt like like parts of this book that just like became like a lot of 
a lot of like fluff stuff stuff to like the Thor things that were actually happening. Cause like some of the reviews that were being read were like that I, that I read about this, they were good, but they were like, there were a lot of like Thor specific things that were happening that like paid off parts of the run. And like, I kind of understood them because they were explained super well. And like this event is really accessible, but like also like I didn't feel the full impact of them. Like to me, it was like, these are things that, 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 that are paying off years worth of story that Aaron's been doing. And they felt less emotional because they were in the confines of this like event that was trying to please everybody as opposed to like the people that have been like been reading this story, like from the beginning. And like, so when it became a big Marvel wide line wide event, it lost some of like the emotional stakes and some of that stuff for me, maybe. And I'm maybe the only one that feels like that. Cause this issue has like a nine point, whatever on comic book roundup kind of thing. But then again, um, like I, I think of other big events that tied into large runs and like specifically I'm thinking of secret invasion for uh, the Bendis Avengers run. And that like, yeah, it, it was the same thing where like there weren't really emotional ties to it. And if there were, they happened off in like the main book. Um, and then same thing with Green Lantern by Jeff Johns and with Blackest Night. Uh, I think that's the closest parallel to War of the Realms with Thor. Um, yeah, same deal. Like Jeff Johns isn't exactly known for his emotional storytelling. Um, but yeah, I guess that's just how these uh, these types of books tend to be. And maybe that's not the greatest thing. Like, would you rather have a big event like this where you don't necessarily get the big emotional payoff that you wanted, but you get a big epic finale? Or would you rather have a smaller thing happen in the main book? Yeah, and that, like, I'm not 100% sure about. And part of that, like, I'm thinking about, because Aaron at this point is kind of, like, to marvel what, like, Scott Snyder is to DC. And Scott Snyder's about to and well like did like a really long run on a character on batman and is about to like in justice league do the like justice do more stuff that's going to be self-contained to the justice league title itself as opposed to like a big line-wide thing but also like year of the villain is tying into a lot of different books differently than this um is doing um and and the other weird thing about this book too is like the ending of this it like felt kind of rushed that like this book happened in three months even though like the artwork doesn't feel rushed at all um but like it almost seems like we're shuffling this book off into the coil so that like marvel can get to like house of x and powers of 10 because that's like going to be the big thing happening for the next you know year or whatever with like sort of like a sidebar in absolute carnage sort of like it's going to be kind of happening at the same time and like that also feels weird to me too of like this was supposed to be a big event but because like it's sort of in the shadow of those things that are happening it's like not a big event but like it has all the makings of a big event even though it's like still is supposed to have the emotional beats of 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 like one title of aaron doing the thor stuff there's just like something about it that feels weird to me and i do love having like the big um like bombastic action things and like i love the fact that russell donnerman gets to draw like all the important characters in the marvel universe um, like that's super dope. Um, uh, 
and like just does it well like because he's great um but at the same time i think that like i would have really settled for like this being like a big bombastic story and like it being contained to the thor books even if it was like a war of the realms sort of like alpha thing and then like it told like the rest of the story in the thor books and then you had like a war of the realms like omega thing kind of like and it was like less having the tie-ins for like Avengers and all these other made-up books that they had to make up for, for a lot of the tie-ins. No, none for me. Yeah. So, I don't know. I don't know. Do y'all have other thoughts? I just rambled for a while. No, none for me. Cool. Cool, cool, cool. Well, folks, looking ahead then, as, as I said earlier, we'll have another episode up in a couple weeks with San Diego um, recap and then also House of X powers of 10 thoughts looking ahead to August 2019 as I just mentioned absolute carnage the first issue is coming out Marvel's also publishing their Marvel Comics 1000 issue which is like not really a 1000 thing but it's definitely happening um, Ghost Spider is getting relaunched Agents of Atlas is getting a new number one Future Foundation is coming out and then the last issue of the current Thor book uh, is coming out with issue 16 before Aaron transitions in September to King Thor with, a th- with the Sod Rubik, which is the end end of his Thor saga. Um, yeah, and this is also Nick Palmieri's last episode with us on Make Mine Multiversity. Um, so Nick, it has been... It has been a pleasure. What are you gonna miss? What are you gonna miss the most about <laughs> hanging out with us? Probably all of those times where we let you say something self-deprecating and then don't say anything in response for like ten seconds. I'm really gonna miss those. That's fair. <laughs> no, but really, uh, it's it's been great getting uh, together with you guys every month and. I'm definitely going to miss it, and we're definitely going to stay in touch outside of the show. Awesome. Awesome. We'll definitely miss you, too, and there'll be some changes to make my multiversity coming up, but, um, but folks, we're not we're not going anywhere, even though Nick is transitioning. Nick, um, people can still find you on Twitter at writes, but what are some other things that you have, uh, have going on or, or this, that, and the other? Uh, so as Kevin said at the beginning of the show, I'm still writing those Avatar The Last Airbender uh, reviews. I'm on the third and final season, about a third of the way through. Um, so check those out. Uh, I'm also going to have something new that I can't exactly talk about coming to Multiversity soon, uh, most likely. Um, spoilers, it's a podcast. But um, yeah, uh, so most likely... That will be happening. So look for that within the next few weeks. Nice. Nice. Well, we'll anticipate your new your new venture that that is gonna be a relaunch or or out out spinoff from Make My Multiversity, of course. Um As we've established, I'm gonna be the Cory in the house to your that's so raven. Yes, exactly, exactly. Uh and Jess, where can people find you um on the larger internets? Um, I'm not writing anymore, but you can follow me at JessCamNJ for Twitter follows, I guess, just because just I'm cool. 
You want to follow yeah. me because I'm cool? That's always a good reason to follow somebody. Of course, <laughs> of course. For a lot of wrestling takes, a lot of which probably happened during the recording of this podcast. Oh, no. Actually, there were none because I can't put the WWE Network on at the same time that I'm recording. Oh. I haven't figured that one out yet. <laughs> <laughs> well, when you do, we'll know. We'll know. Um, Great. And folks, you can find me uh, on Twitter at KBGregory13 and then also on, multi- on multiversitycomics.com. I've been working through um, the Hickman Fantastic Four FF stuff for the Multiversity Com- Comics uh, Summer Binge, the first Multiversity Comics Summer Binge. So if you're interested in that, uh, take a look at that stuff. We'll be back in a couple weeks with San Diego Thoughts and more. And until then... Make mine multiversity. Make mine Marvel. Nick is gone. Things are sad. Um, I still don't know how to end this show. And honestly, that was perfect, Kevin. <laughs> honestly, that was perfect. We're getting out of here. Bye.